Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. My name, it's Dan Barrett. What do we do here on the podcast? We talk about the TV shows that we've been watching. But before we do that, a little bit of business. You've probably noticed the podcast release schedule of late. It's been a little bit weird. We missed a week and then there was an episode with no Chris because Chris and I have got that ongoing feud that I'm sure you've all heard about. Um, And now there's this week's episode, which is a little bit strange. Why is everything so weird? Basically, it's the fault of the episode you're about to listen to. Myself and Chris this week, we're joined by a friend of mine. His name is Mark Humphreys. You probably know him as the host of the beloved, but cancelled too soon, Channel 10 game show Pointless. Maybe you know him from his weekly satirical sketches on the ABC flagship current affairs show 730. Or maybe you've seen him recently as part of Telstra's online campaign to combat the untruths surrounding the rollout of 5G technology. Mark Humphreys, he's around, you've probably seen him around the place. He's very blonde, he's got teeth, you know, it's a whole thing. Anyway, thanks to COVID, these days we record the podcast Always Be Watching via the internet and not in a radio studio, which is what we used to do. So we had the three of us recording remotely. Unfortunately, Mark's internet was acting up a storm. If only he was on the 5G. So this episode, it sounds a little bit patchy. You can hear Mark's audio go wonky a couple of times. The reality is it went out a whole lot and made this episode an absolute devil to edit. Fun to record, a hellscape to edit, but hopefully fun enough to listen to. Ordinarily, a little bit of a tech issue wouldn't be that much of an issue. It wouldn't throw the recording schedule completely out, but it just happened to happen on the week that I was already putting in extra time launching my other new podcast, The Oz Media Report. So a few things got moved around. I ended up holding this episode back a couple of weeks and you're hearing it now. Anyway, this is enough of my prattle. I'll be back right at the end of the podcast and wait, what's that that I hear? Ah, it's the Always Be Watching theme song. I'd better get out of its way. Hey folks, you are listening to Always Be Watching. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm joined here by not just one guy, I've got a panel of guys. Folks, we are going to talk about TV and usually I just like to do an intro, but I'm just excited. Let's just introduce people. Joining me as always, Chris Yates. Sir, how the heck are you doing? I'm good, Dan. It's great to be here. Thanks as usual. Uh, and also roped into the proceedings is one Mark Humphreys. Uh, Mark, how are you? Oh, I'm tremendous. <laughs> So great to be back on uh, the televised Rebel. I have the Always Be Watching uh, <laughs> podcast, and um, uh, so it's great to, great to be here. Different podcast, different podcast. <laughs> different podcast, okay. Yeah, you are on Mox TV Talk. Well, I thought that's what I thought this I'd signed up for here, but um, I've been misled. I was, I was looking forward <laughs> to talking about... Uh, ratings and um uh you know channel 10's profits in in the third quarter but um it's not um not to be yeah now i haven't worked for the channel 10 before chris i don't know about your professional history with that network uh but mark when you hear about channel 10's profits going forward like are you enthused to hear that they're doing well in that third quarter (laughs) (laughs) um it, it's just like Channel 10 is just somebody that I used to know, but I wish them well. And um, yes, now I, 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 <laughs> I mean, I've actually feel bad, obviously, for all the people who've lost their jobs recently. That's the that's that's the main thing. That's um, quite quite sad. And um, it's funny as well because there's people like Carrie Ann and, and Joe Hildebrand who, who are sort of you know online. There's a lot of you know they're not well. 
liked, but is that terrible? I'm sorry, they're, they're liked in it. Sorry, that's not true. They're, they're, I guess they're sort of divisive is maybe a term I could use. And um, But, you know, they were always nice to me. So I, <laughs> I, wish them, I wish them well moving forward. But, uh, they, uh, um, yeah, and uh, it's I haven't watched the new version of Studio 10 that yet, uh, though, guys. Have you... Uh, uh, got any opinions on the new uh, lineup? I haven't checked that out. I do have opinions on Joe Hildebrand, though, in that I met him in real life. <laughs> Could not have been lovelier. And then he was a massive cock to mm. me on Twitter. So, I don't know. <laughs> I've got mixed feelings. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a Jekyll and Hyde thing that Twitter brings out of us, which which maybe we'll get to in our discussion of a certain documentary uh, later in the show. Oh, look at you with the segues. Okay, look, we are going to talk about three things. Uh, we are going to kick off very like for the first thing with a animated comedy because this is what Chris specializes in. Uh, we're going to talk about the brand new series. I'm not even sure exactly where it's from. I thought it was HBO Max, but I don't think it is yeah, if it's it here on Netflix in Australia because I've got to deal with Foxtel and Binge and it's all just very confusing. So Close Enough, which is available in the US on HBO Max, in Australia on Netflix and around the rest of the world. Let's listen to a clip and Chris, you can explain what the heck this is about. Last time I got to eat ice cream for dinner so I wouldn't remember they were late, but I do remember. Yeah, my dad moved out when I was four. I remember that too. Hey! Do I get ice cream again? <laughs> what do you mean? Play this right and you'll get a waffle cone. Emily, Joshua, I was so worried when you didn't show up. Is everything okay? You guys want to sit down, have a juice box? We can't. We gotta... Guys. Never say, I can't. Always say, I'll try. <laughs> Let's sit. I'll try. Guys, I'm concerned that Candace hasn't turned in her patch yet for the family tree quilt project. This empty space is where Candace's project would go. I never heard about a quilt project. Look, sorry, I know you're new here at Chamomile. It's a tough school. Not every family is up to the task. Candace's project needs to be done by tomorrow so we can present it at the event in the morning. Event? What event? I sent you guys the class snap. Okay, guys, remember the family heritage event is tomorrow and each student will present their patches to the class and parents, so don't be late. But if Candace isn't able to participate, I'll be forced to give her an A. Okay, Chris, I didn't think this was necessarily a bad show, but I didn't last more than five minutes. Uh, you didn't play a particularly funny clip there either. I feel like you've done a little bit of a service, <laughs> but that's okay. I can tell you've gone to episode one, part one, press play, press record, and there we go. But that's all right. I'm going to let you off. I, I didn't want to give away the spoilers. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yes. So this is, you're right about that. It was made by HBO Max. And then for the reasons of, I guess, HBO not really getting out there enough yet with their Max platform, they've decided to put it out on the... Netflix, which is good news for me as a, or all of us as Netflix um, people, surely. Um, one of the, okay, so the very basic plot is it's a millennial couple who are trading in, partying for raising their five-year-old daughter and the um, living with a pair of divorced friends so they can be in a nice school zone because they can't afford to do that because they're millennials. They can't afford to live anywhere nice. And it's the, you know, hijinks that um, comes from all of that kind of thing. But the main thing I wanted to talk about, I, I guess over the last few episodes, we've sort of talked about some of the other cartoons that have been on recently, like Hoops, Big Mouth, and there was Paradise PD. There's so many of these things popping up. And I think, you know, one of the things that we were saying uh, on the previous episode was that so many of them are let down by the character's design and that, you know, Hoops is this kind of, when we played the audio clip back from a, from a, chunk of hoops which is a netflix one about a middle-aged wash-up dude who's becoming a basketball coach the um it actually played a lot better like it was funny to listen to the audio as opposed to um the audio you just played before 
from that show. The uh, the uh, yeah, the character design of all these things is really crappy. So this is by J J G Quintel, who's the guy part of the team responsible for regular show, which is the you know, which is a very funny. Is it? What's the um? Is it Cartoon Cartoon Network? Adult Swim or Cartoon? I can never remember. What's Cartoon Network? Cartoon Network. So yeah, um, and I've never been a massive regular show fan. The show it's aimed at kids, and it's like I do like a lot of kids crap, but it's not as compelling as it could be. And I think I got into that about the same time as Adventure Time, you know, which is incredible for the first few seasons. So yeah, it's got that really great character design that regular show has, which I think has done something good. It also has got a lot of absurdist stuff. It's got a lot of, you know, things exploding and stuff that wouldn't happen in the real world, which is another thing that I'm really enjoying about it. And the thing I'm really not enjoying about a lot of these other cartoons. So um, and the other thing it's got going for it is 10 minute episode length. So you get for the, in the 22 sort of minute, you get these two 10 minute things. So you're kind of breaking away from that Simpsons established formula of like, you know, the copying the sitcom with the main plot and the subplot and bring them in together in the end. So yeah, I thought that it's got a lot going for it. And I, you know, halfway through the first season and very, very, very easy to watch and I will continue to watch it. So with episodes being shorter than say a Simpsons 22 minute does that mean that the stories are smaller in scope or is it just that they maybe pack a lot more into the 10 minutes? Yeah, no, like a bit of both. They've definitely only, they sort of only really have the main story and then a little bit of, there's there's sort of a little bit of side plot, which is usually the other two, the kind of divorced couple that live in the house with them as well, who are artists and, you know, wacky millennials and have a lot of jokes at that sort of expense. Um, at their expense in that way but um, yeah no so you kind of really only get the main thread of the story which I've just found refreshing after you know sitting through some of these shows that feel like half an hour of just yelling men um, such as hoops and f is for family and you know which, which bits and pieces I quite liked about them but this is this is nice. And it also sort of subvert. it's not like what I was expecting when I went into it was like, oh, as a parent of a young child, I will find much to relate about this. But it's really not trying. It's not going very hard for that sort of relatability, uh, which is good. Other than there was the, there was real, one really good one, which is an episode called Skate Dad, where he wants to teach his kid how to skate because, you know, he used to skate and he um, gets on the gets on the skateboard at the skate park and instantly falls over and smashes himself to pieces and um, has to get carted off in air ambulance which while not hilarious is the exact same thing that happened to a friend of mine um very very good friend of mine recently who was plus 40 and did that exact same scenario and he ended up in a really bad way um and he's a listener to the podcast so i'll make it clear i'm not laughing at you patty but this was a very this was a very um very very similar moment so there are some of that sort of realistic there is some of that rip from the real life stuff in it but really the thing i most liked about it is how crazy it gets and how over the top and you know a bit of absurdist ridiculous humor in cartoons has been sorely lacking i feel now as a member of generation x do you have trouble trying to relate to the millennial characters in this look we're all we're we're not that different dan we all sort of we we, uh, we get there in the end. I'm the young I'm, people. I'm at the younger end of Generation X. I'd like to add there. And, uh... I thought it was going to be a really ageist question there, Dan. Like, as a member of Generation X, do you have trouble toggling between the different profiles on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I do, but no, that's the that's got nothing to do with my age. Um, yeah, so you said, I, I asked you, you said you watched this, but you didn't really get into it, Dan. I was just a bit bored by it. Like, I kind of really like the concept of it. I kind of like the style and the vibe of it all, but it just didn't do anything for me. It just kind of felt very flat. Yeah, fair enough. It's not trying to change the world, that's for sure. And it's like, yeah. 
Um, it, uh, the first episode I found in particular was really weird one to start with. The second episode was much better, but it was kind of had heaps more um, off the wall kind of crazy stuff where I think, and, and it was a bit science fiction. So I, I guess they were kind of trying to make sure that they weren't coming across as a science fiction show from the first episode, but it seemed like, yeah, the first one was a very odd choice. It involves them going to get some fabric to make the quilt, as we heard in the in the spot. And it's called. It had a great pun in the title too. First episode is Quilty Pleasures. Yes, which is very good. You know, they go to the sort of the the ethnic district to get the the materials to make the quilts, and they're befriended by a bunch of British street urchin children, like as you would find in like Oliver or something, who turn out to be more nefarious than they first appear. Now, I had a request put through based on our episode last week where we talked about Cheers for about 55 minutes. Oh, yeah. The request was they wanted... More Cheers? More Cheers action. (laughs) But they were realistic. And they said, look, I understand you can't talk about Cheers every week, but maybe you could do like a Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon and try to work out how every one of your shows relates to the TV show Cheers. That's a great idea. And I said, that's a great idea, but I forgot all about it. Up until like right now. So I'm currently on IMDb furiously trying to work it out. That request came through from an S long in uh, Hollywood, California. (laughs) (laughs) She also asked if we could talk more about Troop Beverly Hills. Oh, which... Have have we not done a whole episode on that yet? I found that very hard to... Not not yet. It seems surprising. All right. Well, I'm going to work on that. Well, you guys chat amongst yourselves, and I'll try and uh, I'll try and I'll try and get there. Well, I was, but, but when you said you were talking when you when you were introducing that Dan about talking about animation, I thought this whole episode was going to be us actually working out the logistics of your animated Golden Girls reboot, which is oh. I think again we need to just really double down on it and because um, I, I do I genuinely think it's a good idea, <laughs> and I would love to see it. So yes, feel free to share that link. I think we're up to about seven seven signatures now, which is we got a little. That's unfair. We're at nineteen. 19. Signatures. There are nineteen right, people yeah. that have signed. Well, that Look, shows it's... you my influence. You know, I put it out on my Twitter to forty-seven thousand followers, and there are, if you're up to seventeen uh, signatures, including my own, then that's really something. <laughs> we must be up to yeah. You must have got about fourteen in from that. That's pretty. <laughs> okay look we can talk about our social networks all we want but the thing is these social networks are killing us as learned awesome. segue, as learned from yeah. this new documentary as found on the netflix another service which relies on algorithms and we can talk about that in a moment but this is the thing called the social dilemma gen z the kids born after 1996 or so those kids are the first generation in history that got on social media in middle school how do they spend their time They come home from school and they're on their devices. A whole generation is more anxious, more fragile, more depressed. They're much less comfortable taking risks. The rates at which they get driver's licenses have been dropping. The number who have ever gone out on a date or had any kind of romantic interaction is dropping rapidly. Okay, so this is a documentary called The Social Dilemma. It is a very standard documentary with a lot of talking heads talking about how evil social media is. The thing that makes this slightly different is, first of all, the talking heads are all people who were very uh, heavily influential in the building of these platforms in the early day of all of them. So this is your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Pinterests, you know, all the big ones. And then you've also got these little like dramatized segments in between, which are trying to show the real world impact on your everyday people as a result of the social networks and the influence that they wield. Guys, when I watched this, I thought, first of all, the talking heads of all the former executives, they were saying things that I'd more or less heard before through other podcasts and 
articles and documentaries, and I kind of thought the dramatized segments were a little bit clunky. However, I kind of like this exists in the world because I think there's lots of people who maybe haven't been exposed to some of these negative conversations around these social platforms and probably walked away from that with a more solid understanding as to the way that a platform like Netflix, a uh, platform like Facebook, for example, can uh, shake its algorithm around a little bit to try to make it a bit more engaging, uh, get your time on site to rise dramatically and get you looking at your phone every time a notification comes through. And I think lots of people understand that happens, but this actually goes really nicely to paint how that happens and what it is they're doing to tweak their systems to make it happen. People have any thoughts on this? I, uh, in terms of those dramatic scenes, effing hated them. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I do sort of take a bigger picture, look at view of it and sort of think, ah, oh, Maybe that is an effective, it doesn't work, it's, it's annoying for me, but maybe that is an effective way to illustrate the point to other people. And I think as a hybrid style, I think it's an, that's an interesting choice. And if, I'd be curious to see, is there an execution of that for a different topic that I would not uh, cringe at? But that, there was some of that felt a little heavy handed. A little? <laughs> <laughs> and almost sometimes felt like you're watching two different films at the same time. Um, I would have liked to, I'd actually like Netflix to offer an option, which is just um, sort of a talking heads only option uh, or a dramatized, you know, <laughs> scene version. Cause there were times where the, as soon as a scene would start up, I'm like, Oh God. And then I'd want to, I'd want to, scroll forward but sometimes they'd screw you over by having the talking head talk over the dramatic scene <laughs> you'd have to sit through it uh and uh but uh, even, what made what made them so challenging like the challenging aspect of those dram- uh, dramatized scenes is that you had vincent carthizer in it from tv's Mad Men. he's the weasel pete campbell and it's like what are you doing in this small dramatized sequence like you may as well be in the revival for unsolved mysteries yeah, it was weird <laughs> like it just seemed like it was it was not befitting his stature that guy's amazing but like since madman like he just stumbles from role to role and he does not know how to get cast in something proper yeah. like it just seems like he's uh suffering like almost like a ptsd i've been in the greatest tv <laughs> show ever made and now i just don't quite know what to do with my career yeah that's about shelly long the other thing well the other thing is the dramatizations are actually two parts right because you've got the very documentary style or you've got the very drama style version of just him and his sister or whoever it is going through their day and doing all the things and having those conversations but then you've got the the other side of it which is the you know the algorithm speaking i guess you know which is represented by the three peats and how they're um getting that through so it's kind of like it's not just asking you to take on this dramatic version of how things are you know how it is actually manipulating you it's then asking you to sort of take this extra extra leap of logic to visualize the algorithm itself as these competing people trying to put information at use which i found which i thought was very odd and i watched it with my partner who's really into you know like she she sort of works um you know in marketing using a lot of these products and using a lot of this stuff and sort of asked her about how she felt about those dramatic things. And she sort of said that, you know, and I guess I have a bit of experience with it too. So when you're sort of seeing the bids for click for clicks and all that kind of stuff, it was kind of seemed kind of, it, it did seem pretty obvious, but I think for a lot of people that that might not be, yeah, that might not be so obvious and that might be a, um, but is that, I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced that that was an, in, uh, clear way of explaining how that stuff works anyway like it kind of just made me a little bit more confused 
<laughs> there was an intense irony I felt from watching it where they were talking about the push notifications on your phone, the way these sites are gaming it to get you spending more time on site. All the time we're watching it as a Netflix acquired production. And I think about Netflix and their entire system is based on similar algorithms, which are intended to keep you using and watching things on that platform for as long as possible. I always get push notifications from Netflix trying to get me to re-enter the platform again on a very regular basis. There is nothing that Netflix aren't doing that they're telling me is incredibly evil because these other platforms are doing it. Yeah, totally. And that was kind of like, well, the whole thing was sort of like, uh, you know, is it, yeah, it's changing our behavior and yeah, it's um, leading to us having this kind of, life that's not as rich because we're not experiencing things on the outside but i don't think it really um i don't i don't know how well it went about sort of giving us the um you know what 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 is that going to mean in the end like what's the end game for all this kind of stuff it was just sort of like we have to get out of it it's killing everything because of the way you know we're just being people the search for truth i guess but there wasn't kind of any way I don't, I don't feel like there was any way presented that we can kind of deal with that other than just like switching off facebook or regulating facebook which doesn't seem like there was no sort of you know call to action to kind of try to make things better as a consumer of these products i didn't think i think i think it's interesting as well the kind of in terms of the disinformation side uh, i don't know if you recall this and, and i'm guessing this content is still on platform but my memory of the early days of netflix when it was like okay it's house of cards it's orange is the new black and then it's a library of whatever we could afford i seem to remember there being a lot of weird documentaries that were kind of conspiracy 9-11 kind of was a inside job kind of thing i don't know if you remember this but i I remember as i would go through the it's now impossible for me to go through the library of netflix side because it's so massive but when it wasn't so big, you you quite quickly realised the limits of it. And I remember there being stuff that was well, basically you know, a lot of UFO crap and all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, I thought that was sort of weird as well. That yeah, maybe they've just continued that sort of stuff. I don't I don't know, but that was my memory of Netflix early on. I just googled it before to talk about it, and the actual you know they talk about the social dilemma um, dot com as the sort of where they're trying to get people to have a conversation about getting it together. As I googled the social dilemma exactly as it's spelt, it's been pushed back to like the middle of the second page, <laughs> um, which I think is interesting <laughs> that um, the Sundance Institute article about the film would rank higher than the film itself. And you got to wonder about whether you know how did, uh, you know if I if I share a link for this on Facebook, is Facebook going to bury it? Is that kind of you know, is that what's going to happen with with this kind of thing? It's so weird that it's on such a massive platform. You know, like Netflix is one of the only things that we're now kind of um, have as this. You know, did you see the new thing on Netflix? Like, no one's going to talk about that about television, and nobody's talking about that about anything else. So we're we're not having these shared vision, these shared viewing experiences anymore. Um, mm. Is the conversation around this thing going to be muted by the very algorithms that it's criticizing? No, <laughs> no right. <laughs> uh, the thing I thought was maybe a bit interesting is that they spent a lot of time just talking about the way that these sites sort of game for time on site and the way that sort of affects people's mindsets, but they didn't really spend enough time talking about uh, some of the... Uh, like, okay, what came to mind is uh, YouTube and the way that you can start watching something about um, car mechanics and then suddenly find yourself watching like anti-5G 
um, you know, documentaries and conversation. Like, I don't understand why the doco didn't spend more time talking about that because that's just as valid a problem involved here as all the other stuff they were talking about. But they didn't really... And they did allude to it towards the end of the doco, but there just wasn't really quite enough on that. And I feel that's actually the material that's been really detrimental to society as a whole as opposed to just a website or, um, you know, platform which is sucking our time and maybe just making us a bit more depressed. Whereas there's these other things that are having like such detrimental impacts on the environment and the actual worlds that we're living in a you know very tangible, meaningful way. They don't really delve into it. Uh, there's a really good New York Times podcast series called Rabbit Hole, which looks at this uh, really sort of nicely in depth. And I think that did a far better job of talking about the evils of these platforms than this documentary did. But as an entry point into yeah. this, I think it's probably a yeah. worthwhile endeavor. I think it touched on that stuff. I think yeah, I didn't go as far as you might like but yeah i, I felt like when you're watching those reenact they're not reenact so the dramatic scenes you, if you're watching what if you as the as that young man or boy is getting further and further sucked into um you know what he's viewing you you, you see that he's going down a rabbit hole is that not address sort of what you were oh yeah no so absolutely so it does head to that but i don't think that they just kind of delved into that enough Mm -hmm. like that was definitely a final act sort of this is the final state as as to what's going on so the the final acts i kind of thought was uh certainly a culmination of his various experiences online leading him to like an outdoor protest where suddenly like all these ideas were sort of coming to the fore and he saw the police arresting a whole bunch of people but i thought that was a little bit disingenuous as well because the police generally aren't arresting the crazies they're arresting all the protesters who are protesting the protests so i thought that was a little bit strange but they didn't really actually sort of get to the hardest to what had changed in his mindset to get there it sort of seemed like he'd seen a few things online and thought oh that's kind of interesting and went to explore it a bit further before suddenly the police came down on the whole situation it didn't actually show him going down a rabbit hole and seeing his mindset changed that dramatically and then you had the ridiculous um, sister character who was holier than thou when it came to pretty much everything he was doing online. It's like, you've got a mobile phone and it just starts tisking away at him. Uh, and I just kind of felt that was just a little bit sort of off as well. It wasn't like there was a huge generational divide between the two of them. And she was someone who's probably just equally as susceptible. And they didn't really go enough to like to enough of a state to say, hey, look, she's probably being affected in this way while he's being affected in this way and come at it from different multiple points of view. Mm-hmm. Instead, they just went for a very singly focused um, effort, which didn't really feel as meaningful or just generally meaty as I think that subject matter actually probably really deserves. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she had this whole like no cell phone philosophy, which, you know, I know heaps of lefties and weirdos and anarchists and stuff. And I, don't, I don't know anybody who hasn't got a smartphone. Like I felt like that was a, a step too. I feel really felt like that was a step too far in kind of putting that up there as well. Do you know who she is, the actress? No. Okay, so her name is, sorry, let me just look it up here, Kara uh, Haywood. And I don't know her by name, but we all know her as being the young girl from Moonrise Kingdom, the Wes Anderson film oh. about those two kids that escape everyone. Great trivia, Dan. I can always count on you. Yeah. That was from me IMDBing and realizing what the Cheers six degrees of separation is. And do we want to run through that now? Do we have anything else we want to say about this? Yeah, go on. Do it. Do okay. It. So. Well, I thought you were going to say she was, she was the daughter of Shelley Long. But, uh, <laughs> Yes, what, what's, what's the actual connection? Hang on, is there something... No, you, you tell us what the Okay, so we mentioned that Vincent Carthizer, Pete, the weasel Pete Campbell from Mad Men's in this. He obviously appeared in a mm-hmm. show called Mad Men. 
alongside one John Slattery, who played the great Roger Sterling. Slattery was mm-hmm. in the HBO miniseries from the Earth to the Moon, which also had Dan Butler. Oof. Dan Butler, who was a regular cast member of Frasier, which obviously had Kelsey Grammer and the character of Frasier himself <laughs> from the popular sitcom Cheers. So The Social Dilemma on Netflix, check it out if you're pretty new to these concepts, but by and large, I think you probably give it a bit of a miss if you're overly familiar with it. But also if you love that Weasel Pete Campbell, maybe worth giving it a look. I'm not sure. I'm very conflicted on this one. But guys, <laughs> something that I'm not conflicted at all is that I'm incredibly keen on seeing the movie. I'm thinking of ending things. I have not seen it though, but we have someone in our midst who has. In fact, I think both of you have seen it. I just haven't. Uh, but let's play a clip from it. And Mark, you can tell us about it in just a sec. I'm thinking of ending things. Jake is really great. He's really sweet. He's sensitive and he listens to me and he's smart. But there's just something ineffable, profoundly, unutterably, unfixably wrong here. Are you okay? Yeah. You just seem sort of far away is all. I'm just thinking. About what? Uh, I don't know. I'm just vague in my head stuff. Vague in your head stuff. I guess I was thinking about time. Really? Yeah. Like we're on a train and it takes us where it takes us. There's no veering off. There's no side trips. And like Mussolini's train, it runs on time. That's not really true about Mussolini trains. The improvements in the railway system preceded him. He just took the credit. And even still, they didn't always run on time. I wasn't really talking about Mussolini's train. Anyway, you you can always jump off a train. Movies, real life, you'll probably die jumping from a moving train. <laughs> that's, that's very true. I suppose I watched too many movies. Everybody does. Okay, no such thing as too many movies, but Mark, what the heck? <laughs> and so what, what was going on in this film? Indeed, indeed, what is going on in this film is the question that a few will be left with at the end of <laughs> <laughs> at the end of this film, as with many Charlie Kaufman films. So, yes, Charlie Kaufman, the man who, uh, uh intent writer director behind, you know, wrote the screenplay for being John Malkovich, adaptation, and, uh, and then he directed, wrote and directed Synecdoche, New York. Um, and so, this is the usual sort of thing with Kaufman where it's going to mess with your head a bit and uh, all the normal rules of storytelling and time and logic go out the window um so it's sort of you need to i think you know it's a it's a contract <laughs> there's a there's a contract <laughs> with the audience of like you, you I'm like you just need to go along with this not, not everything is going to be explained i think you know of all the kaufman films over the years this is probably the one that has where he gives you the least explanation i think that's probably one of the bigger criticisms of the film is i think uh unless you have read the book on which it is based I think you're hard pressed to actually understand the ending. Um, uh, but it's the journey, not the destination, isn't it guys? And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess the journey, so. can, can, the journey can also be quite trying, but it's uh, a grim journey, I, right? <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, but I, I look there and, and Tony Collette, David Thewlis play basically sorry so there's a young woman who is she's been in a relationship uh, so a young woman played by Jessie Buckley 
She's been in a relationship with Jesse Plemons' character for about six weeks. They're now going to go visit his parents for the first time. But uh, as the title suggests, she is thinking of ending things. Um, and um, yes, uh, and then things, yeah, things sort of go off the rails from there. And uh, Kaufman takes many liberties with um, time and even sort of, I suppose, um, uh, the manner of story, uh, even the kind of um, aesthetic storytelling. There are parts where there's uh, there's an animated sequence. There's uh, there's a sort of uh, dream dance sequence. It's sort of he, he's 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 thrown everything at this, and uh, uh, it'll test you. <laughs> so I think all this all this test. <laughs> All of his films tend to play around with form and structure a fair bit, uh, also particularly narratives. So I'm thinking the film that is probably the closest in terms of just being a bit all over the place is uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is a film that he wrote that took a lot of journeys into people's minds and then back out again in um, all sorts of non-linear ways. Is that probably a good point of comparison in terms of the overall tone and flavor of the film? Uh, my mem- from what I can remember of Eternal Sunshine, yes, I remember being. Uh, this, is, I this is a controversial thing to say. Of all the Kaufman things, that was probably the one I least enjoyed. Oh, what? Um, Get out of here! But, uh, yeah, mm, yeah. No, I'm, I I'm feel like it had a. <laughs> I feel like there was no. Um, is there? Is there usually more of a sense of whimsy, for, for want of a better word? Like I really felt like you know, there's usually this kind of. At least in his writing, in this, there's this kind of idea that you know, there's there's a bit of fun to it, or there's a little bit of there's an element of with along with the discovery and the kind of journeys through the mind, there is some level of kind of enjoyment and fun, of which I just was did not get anything like that from this. Mm, yeah, there's like not who, much, who's um... having a good time in this movie. Like, it's not like you need to watch a movie with people having a good time, but there's no like, there's just like there was nothing to kind of grab onto and go like. All right, I'm interested in where this goes. I'm interested in 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 how this is panning out. Um, I haven't read the book and didn't know anything about it, so went in totally blind, which I really enjoy doing usually. But this, um, but yeah, I just, I mean, I found it an absolute total struggle. And then even to the point where, like, it was about probably about the two thirds of the way through it, I started reading about it, you know, because I was just like, Ugh, am I going to just? Is it going to be more or less satisfying if I get to the end without knowing the stuff? I also, like, I don't think I was in the best, you know, it wasn't like, I, I kind of was distracted and I wasn't sitting down and just engrossed in it, but I don't know if I would have been able to get that way anyway, because it was just so, like, the whole entire, the, the, the start of the scene with the um, the car trip and this big, long conversation feels like, like, after about 15 minutes, it feels like that's going to be the whole movie, and I was just like, oh, my God, if I could be anywhere other than in this car, I'd be a happy person. Yeah. Like, like sort of being there witnessing it and, and around all these people was just like, not even a chore it was cringy and it was it was it was like being around you know it was like when you find yourself in this situation where you're just surrounded by people having a conversation living a life that you just don't want anything to do with and i was just like yeah. oh my god i hope we get through this soon and then we did and it got and things got much much worse well, it's funny you mentioned that reading because everyone that i've spoken to about this has done the same thing which is they've watched the film and then they've gone and read a bunch of articles about it. And so it's it's kind of a multimedia experience <laughs> because the film itself is, doesn't really explain things sufficiently for, for most people. So, um, yeah, it's so there's a kind of joy in then going and reading those pieces and going, oh, so that yes. kind of 
that as an experience, there's sort of something. <laughs> Got to get onto that 5G. Yeah, that 5G is important. Generally. I'm watching Westworld. But, uh, that's okay. I'll start again. Anyway, in conclusion, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll, if you watch the, I'm not cutting out again, am I? No, no you're good now. No. I just like how you started with in conclusion. <laughs> in conclusion, go fuck yourself. Uh, I think that's enough for this one. My wife has trained my kid to say uh, that said- when the internet goes down. Oh, Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's saying. It's terrible. It's indoctrination. Anyway, in conclusion, uh, it's uh, a deeply frustrating film. But, but, yes. <laughs> but there is something I, I, I weirdly enjoyed that additional process of then going and reading up about it. It was almost like it's the first film I've come across that sort of needs where like, the general public needs the EPK. They need the, yes. um, you know, <laughs> they need the additional information about, about the film. Um, you know, I, I, it reminds me sort of almost like uh, things like remember like the an- the Animatrix, which was like yeah, yeah. Uh, you know an additional you know anime series, some videos or sketch, sorry, series of uh, fil- short films to go along with the Matrix saga. You kind of there's like a Vanity Fair article that you need to read <laughs> <laughs> along with along with this film. Um, but look, I love Jesse Plemons. Jesse Buckley's very good. The young the young woman. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. It's terrific. Does she fall into being an ingenue at this point? So new to the game. She's interesting. I did. I, I didn't know her at all, and then I, I looked her up, and uh, it seems that she sort of first came to prominence in in England as the runner-up on "I Do Anything," the uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber sort of talent series, trying to find someone to play Nancy in his. Uh, uh, oh wow! You know, in the revival of Oliver. Um. Yeah, so... Uh, that looks like she was in the War and Peace miniseries. That was pretty good. And Taboo, uh, she was also in uh, People Know from Chernobyl. I think I just remembered the exact point in the movie that I both realised, oh, right, this is clever, and also, oh, I hate it, was when, um, and I'm just going to say this without spoiling it, but when they're in the basement and they are looking at a photo, or maybe not in the basement, but they're looking at a photograph anyway of him as a child. Did that? Do you remember that specifically? Yes. But, and yes, that's just yes. and that, and that was kind of the point where yeah, that sort of galvanized me as far as like uh, it it made me interested, but also was just like righto, this is where we're going. <laughs> this is where we're going, and I kind of put my shit down and I had to think about what I was doing with my night and kind of went like, all right, all right. It's weird because it sometimes verges on a it, like it kind of veers into horror film. Territory. Yeah. Yeah. But and I really, I really commit to it. But, and yeah. I usually love something that doesn't that that messes around with the narrative and that has some nonlinear stuff. And you know, I usually I'm I'm not one to sort of be you know put off by that kind of challenge. But boy, oh boy, it's a big it's a big one. Yeah. Okay, so guys, but this the- is the point of the podcast where we have to play six degrees with Norm Peterson. So, what have we got here? I can do it in three. Oh. Oh. Okay, I can do it in. I can do it in. Th- Three, but with a twist. Okay, what have you hey, got? I've it. got no you, twist. You go for it. You go, all right, you go first then. No, no, you're, you're the guest. Also, I want to hear this. No, twist. I'm the guest. Oh, okay, yeah. the twist. Is, all right, so we're starting with so Charlie Kaufman. Uh, so being John Malkovich. Malkovich, his uh, first wife 
um, <laughs> was the actress Glenn Headley. Ah, people will remember from uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Mr. Holland's Opus. And She's awesome. Getting even with dad with Mr. Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's pretty good. Look, that's all right. My way is also through one Ted Danson. Uh, the actor Oliver Platt provides a character in this film called The Voice. Hmm. Ah, indeed. Oliver Platt did quite a number of episodes of an HBO comedy series called Bored to Death, which also co-starred one Ted Danson. Indeed. indeed. That's pretty good. I feel like this is in as we go with this, Ted Danson is going to be the shortcut for most of our... Um, for most of our things on account of him being quite let's say let's kindly say prolific in the um in the early 2000s where he just did i feel the challenge has been set now where everything needs to run through glenn headley <laughs> yeah that's oh, right there's that, another good one there that would be a dream because <laughs> you could talk about a role in the x-files movie playing a bartender which is how i know her best oh do you okay she had a studio well you'd know her from the from er from your rewatch of er yeah i mean almost as well as i know her from babe pig in the city she passed away in 2017 i didn't know that yeah. yes i saw Hey, she was also in frazier <laughs> so there's another See, here one. we go so it's 2015 she was in larry david's play a fish in the dark oh wow. uh, on, on broadway and um I saw it when Larry David had left the show and had been replaced by. Well, here's the, I mean, can you do you, do you do you know who replaced Larry David in his own play? No, I don't know. You've you've told me this before. Who would like? Surely it's like a Jason Alexander, right? Well done. It is Jason Alexander. It's that perfect. You know, it has to be. Who else can be Larry David? The Jason Alexander. Um, That's so, unreal. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she was, she was wonderful. No, I, I, I loved her, but she's so great in Mr. Holland's Opus. That's one that I, a lot of people have missed, and I, I really recommend. Interesting facts about Richard Dreyfus: never appeared in Cheers. Mm. <laughs> Can't do everything. Yeah, very disappointing. Hey guys, this probably brings us to the end of the podcast. I'm guessing. Uh, I'm, folks, I'm pretty <laughs> this, sure. This has been always be watching. My name's Dan Barrett. I've been joined by Chris Yates and Mark Humphreys. Chris, you never have anything that you want to promote, even though you are an actively busy man out there doing so much. That's right. I got enough going on. I don't need me, don't need more stuff. Don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> uh, Mark Humphreys, what are you up to at the moment? What can people see you doing? Well, you know, I'd love people to, uh, if you haven't got an Audible subscription, uh, I recommend you go on there and listen to the Alan Partridge podcast. And when you've done with that, then go on to my podcast uh, <laughs> called Riot Act. Um and uh, that do yourself a favor there, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if you if they always be streaming, um, always be watching. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know whether always be watching can expand to uh audio, but I think the, the word watching probably uh does that. <laughs> doesn't allow for it but um yeah the uh, an additional recommendation that is slightly outside of the realm of watching is the alan partridge podcast I from the oast House. cannot wait to hear the alan partridge podcast the uh, the audio books um i've only i think he's done two i only listened to the first one which was just well beyond my expectations of how awesome i thought it was going to be even though i had pretty high mm. expectations things i have queued up in my audible right now include one alan partridge podcast one Charlie Kaufman's recent book, Ants Kind, which just came mm. out about a month and a bit ago, which I still haven't listened to yet, but it's about to happen. But also finished, done with, was Mark Humphrey's podcast series called Riot Act, which I will give the Dan Barrett thumbs of approval 
very funny. I actually laughed out loud at least twice per episode. Oof, that's God. a good rate. Better than better than what we're peddling, that's for sure. <laughs> it's better than most things. Like I honestly think if anything can give you like one to two actual laugh out loud moments, like that's enough. I'm usually very happy with that. Most definitely. Thank you, Dan. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anything less genuine. <laughs> I'm nothing if not insincere, but uh, no, I am genuinely grateful for that. <laughs> okay, folks, this has been Always Be Watching. Uh, check us out on the web, alwaysbewatching.com. There's a newsletter there you can sign up to. There's this podcast. And look, I've got nothing else for this week. We'll be back next week with more Six Degrees of Norm Peterson. Or maybe not. I don't know. I think it's going to be a hit. No, People no, are going to demand it's it. A, it's a permanent feat. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. We'll be back next week with a proper Always Be Watching podcast. I've watched a whole bunch of things that I'm super keen to chat about. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, yada, yada, yada. You can sign up for the daily Always Be Watching newsletter over at alwaysbewatching.com. And then there's my other podcast, The Oz Media Report, and that's Oz AUS. The most recent episode, it might be of interest to you if you're an Australian TV uh, watcher. I'm chatting with Steve Molk about the recent launch of the new TV channel, Ten Shake. Who launches a TV channel in 2020? It's weird. Anyway, we'll be back with more Always Be Watching next week. We'll chat then.